The glory of God is human beings fully alive. So said the early church father, Irenaeus, the glory of God is human beings fully alive. What does that mean? So imagine with me for a moment the story of creation as told in Genesis 1, that in this dark and formless void, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And over the next six days, like an artist joyfully painting on a blank canvas, God creates shades of light and dark, the infinite sky stretched out, the land, the seas, trees, plants, flowers of every kind, the sun, moon, and stars, living creatures, crawling, swimming, and flying. And then on the sixth day, God creates human beings made in God's own image and likeness. Genesis 2 tells a story of this moment as it's depicted in scripture, saying, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, a human being fully alive. I remember um, years ago, um, I saw this video of a woman who had suffered hearing loss like from a very young age. And much later in life, she received these implants that enabled her to hear music for the, the first time. And they recorded that moment. I actually tried to look for the video and I couldn't find it. Um, but you don't hear the music, um, you just see her face. And you, you can tell that the music has come on. Like initially she's a little hesitant because the implants are, she's getting used to the implants in her ears. But then um, you see her face when the music turns on and it changes. Suddenly a wide smile, um, one of just joy and delight um, come onto her face. And you could see her sense of hearing being awakened for the first time. I mean, just imagine that first rush of breath in the man's lungs, you know. Imagine opening your eyes and seeing all of that light and color and form, hearing, smelling, touching, tasted, all your senses being awakened to the world for the first time. In the newness of creation, in perfect communion with God and with each other, given this awesome mandate by God to be fruitful and multiply and to care for this new earth that God has created, free to live and free to love fully and unconditionally without guilt, shame, or fear. It's the Hebrew word shalom, translated peace, which is wholeness, well-being, perfect harmony. In other words, being fully alive. It's what our hearts long for, for ourselves and for our world. Well, it was exactly one year ago today that me, Jimmy, Martha, Mitch, and Catherine were in our living room in Harlem trying to figure out how on earth we stream our worship service to Facebook and Instagram for the very first time. Maybe some of you might remember that morning. And back then, while there were definitely concerns, we had no idea what would lie ahead of us the toll that COVID would take in the months ahead, the lives lost, over 500,000 people dead here in our own country and 2.5 million people worldwide. And some of those things were out of our control and some of those things tragically were within our control. This week weekend marks um, 
another grim milestone. It was one year since police officers barged into Brianna Taylor's apartment, shooting, shooting 32 rounds and killing her while she was asleep. And to date, none of those officers have been arrested, charged, or convicted. And we so wish that we could say that this is an anomaly, but we all know that it's not. We've seen this movie before, played over and over and over again. Cole Riley, um, who goes by the Instagram handle Black Liturgies yesterday wrote um, of Brianna, what we lavish on you in death, you were worthy of in life. You are so much more than a rallying cry, a black woman, holy, beautiful, revered, and resting. You should have been allowed to rest in peace, dreaming of the justice you deserve. There's a book by the theologian Cornelius Plantingen about sin. The title, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And whether it's disease, human arrogance, and blindness, systemic racism, or the brokenness of our own lives. There's something about that title that rings true. It's ironic, isn't it? That we know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And yet, when you read something like the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it feels like cold water in the face. He doesn't pull any punches. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at work among those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. We were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. When you hear that, it can be like, whoa, Paul, that's a little harsh, don't you think? And we can be dismissive, you know, kind of brushing off his words like the mad ravings of a subway preacher. And yet, when we look at the world and ourselves, there's something about this that rings true internally and externally, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And we are not exempt from that reality. Only those who are in denial or delusional would think otherwise. The destiny of humanity and the earth are inextricably woven together. We are in this together. And it's always been this way from the very beginning. And that's why Paul writes in Romans that creation itself is groaning as in labor pains, longing to be set free from its bondage to decay. But then in Ephesians 2, there are these two words in verse 4. But... God. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Those two words are the most powerful words in all of Scripture, I think. But God. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, they hid because they were afraid and ashamed. And then it says in Genesis 3, 9, but God called to the man and said to him, where are you? You can imagine Adam and Eve hiding in the dark. 
And the God, the God whose heart is always to seek and save that which is lost. The first thing that God says to them after they sin is, where are you? I can tell you for sure that if somebody sinned against me, that wouldn't, that would not be what I would be thinking unless it was like, where are you? So I can give you some of this. If you know, God goes seeking after them, God takes the initiative. God could have left them there in their guilt, shame, and fear, but that, but God changed everything and changed the entire trajectory of the human race. But God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we, we don't have a TV and I don't even know if these kinds of infomercials exist anymore. But when I was young, late at night, these commercials would come on selling like the George Foreman grill or like a set of steak knives. It would be this great deal. And then the announcer would always say, but wait, there's more. And that's kind of like Paul here. He's saying, but wait, there's even more. He's saying there we were on this trajectory of life separated from God, prisoners of our fear and our shame and our idolatries, objects of wrath. But God came looking for us. God called our name. God snatched us from the clutches of sin and not only rescued us, but made us alive with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ, fully alive. I will always remember this one summer as a campus minister in one of the um, poorest neighborhoods in Chicago, Lawndale. We were serving with Lawndale Community Church. And they had this drug rehabilitation home, um, recovery home for men called the Hope House. And I remember, always remember the, this cheer that they had where they would always be like, up with hope, down with dope. And um, one Sunday for service, um, the men of Hope House um, sang a song that was called, You Are the God of Second Chances. And I remember one of the men, Lonnie, and he was singing this song and tears were just streaming down his face. And his face was just lifted up to God, radiant with a joy and a hope that I know were not there in his life before Christ. And you can't experience the heights of the joy if you haven't known the depths of sorrow. You can't experience life to the full if you're in denial about the fact that you're dying. And to be fully alive means that you are in touch with reality, senses awakened, the good, the bad, and the ugly, just like God is. Yet in Christ, your senses are awakened and your heart, soul, and mind, and body are responsive to those realities, just as Jesus was. You see the full range of humanity. You see the reality of sin, death, evil, and brokenness, the world's and your own, but you also see that that's not all there is to the story, but God. You know, I was just a scared, insecure little kid who had been bullied and called racist slurs at a time when I was just trying to figure out life and what it meant to be me. And for years, even into young adulthood, I could barely open my mouth around white people. But God, I think of Chris 
and who's currently helping Troy with maintenance work around St. Peter's. When I first met Chris at All Angels, he never spoke. He would come to the community meal after service and stay for the shelter completely silent with his hair all the way down to here and a full beard so you could barely see his face. And then he joined the Alpha Course that I told you about, this introduction to Christianity. And we watched him open up in ways that I would have never imagined. He's starting to share stories about his life, his questions, his doubts, his hopes, his fears. You know, I would have never known that he was so funny and had lived such an interesting life and loved to read. He came alive, but God. What is that but God moment for you? Maybe some of you remember that moment. If you're like me, maybe it wasn't a moment, but a process. I don't know what I would have been like without Christ. But God saw me and kept reaching out to me, taking me by the hand, pulling me out of that darkness into God's light and continues to do that today. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Paul's saying it is a gift, pure gift, and there is nothing that you can do to earn it. That's what a gift is. It's freely given, and all you can do is just receive it by faith. And that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around because nothing in life is free, right? And in our American value for hard work and self-realization, to just receive this gift and not work, that just sounds like laziness and passivity. But here's the point of the whole passage. You cannot save yourself and you cannot save the world. You can try and you can do some good things. You can work and strive and work and strive, but you will never achieve the wholeness and the healing that you long for, for yourself and for your world by your works alone. The gift of God's grace turns that works righteousness on its head. It is not about being passive and not working or doing. What Paul say, is saying is that the work is first and foremost what God does, what God is doing, not what we do. The story of salvation is the story of God at work in and through Christ, doing the work of rescuing and redeeming and restoring the creation and humanity that God so lovingly made, inviting us to participate with him. Because here's what's also true, as Eugene Peterson writes, fundamentally, Work is not about what we do. We are the work God does. We are what he has made us. Also translated, we are God's workmanship or handiwork. God makes us fully alive in Christ. And as we receive that free gift of God's grace, grace does not displace work, but rather we are God's work and we join God in his work. And maybe for some of you this morning, you've never received God's gift of grace shown to us in Christ. And God is offering it to you freely. And maybe today, maybe even this very morning is a day that you say, God, I receive it. I receive it. You know, maybe some of you are like me 
and you have received God's gift of grace, but you don't act like it. You know, you're this anxiety-fueled ball of energy. And today the invitation is receive it. Remember and rest in who you are, God's beloved, God's handiwork in the world. And as you are who God has created you to be, like creation itself, you radiate the beauty and the glory of one who is fully alive, joining God in God's work of healing and restoring the brokenness in our world. By God's grace, may this be so. In the name of God the Father Almighty who created you, in the name of Jesus Christ who redeemed you, in the name of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christine. Let's affirm our faith together in our gracious and gift-giving God through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe